Welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek uh, Prodigy, Star Trek Picard, Lower Decks, and many more. I am co-host Cicero Holmes, and I'm joined again by Tyler Monaghan. Hey, Ty, how you doing? Hey, I actually uh, petitioned for the title Borg Slayer, so if you could just use that. All right, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, we'll we'll get that in after your speech. Uh, and returning are two members of our esteemed panel, Dr. Rachel Clow. Yes. How you doing? Hello. Hello. Good evening. Yes. And our captain, Chris Clow. But I'm in the captain's seat. How are you, sir? Happy to relinquish it to you this evening, my friend. Damn right. Uh, I am the captain now. Look, look at me. Look at me. I am the captain now. I, I haven't seen the that movie. Pip right, right, right. Put it on yes, your collar. Put it good. on my collar. Right, right. Exactly. It's uh, it's like uh, you know, Picard talking to Cisco on DS Nine. Um, <laughs> um, no Zacky this week, but instead, it's my pleasure. To introduce for the first time, and hopefully not the last, co-host of the Reengage podcast, Mr. Greg Tito. Greg, how are you? Uh, welcome, welcome aboard. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. This is really cool. I love that the you know you two have a uh, uh, you know Mr. Saru, Michael Burnham situation here. Right, both, right, exactly. Both captains <laughs> at the same time. Yes, yes. Everybody's a captain. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, please, please tell everyone a bit about, uh, your fantastic podcast and your journey with the Star Trek franchise. And, uh, also, you know how it goes. What is Mm -hmm. your favorite movie? What is your favorite TV series? Wow. All right. Well, I mean, that the the first two questions are a little bit wrapped up together because I started watching the uh, original movies, actually, probably first. Um, didn't watch a lot of the TOS, but it was on when I was younger. Um, sure. Wouldn't say I was a, a super big fan of it because it was uh, new to me. Uh, but then once I knew that there was a Star Trek coming out that was of my generation, it was the next generation, which was right. me. Uh, I was very excited for that. That was 1987. I was nine years old when it came out and my older brothers were super excited about it as well. The entire family got together and did it, which was cool. Um, but what's exciting about that was, you know, that was the, my, my, my first real big taste of, of Star Trek. Um, and then during pandemic, a lot of things were going on. I was listening to you guys watching uh, Discovery and loving all the discussions of everything going on on this this amazing podcast. And I was Thank like, yeah, I want to go back in time. I want to go back in time to when I was nine and I had those warm and fuzzy feelings in 1987 when TNG came out. And a couple of friends of mine were also kind of itching to do something and also were sci-fi fans. And so we got together and we started re-engage where we went from Farpoint in the beginning and we talk about each episode and also talk about what was going on in the world at the time 
that it first aired. And so we got this nice juxtaposition of real world things happening. And 1987 to 1990, we're in season three now. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening. The fall of communism, uh, the Eastern Bloc nations going down, all these revolutions. And that certainly was informing the writers of TNG. So it's really nice to kind of have this all in the same thing. One of my friends, uh, Eric Gratton, is one of those people that can just rattle off actor names and the things they've been in. So we also go into like all of the guest stars when they pop up. We just had James Cromwell on mm -hmm. and Jeff McCarthy uh, uh, for an episode that we just covered, um, which made me go back to be like, man, they're just everybody got their start in TNG, it feels like. Uh, and so we go back and watch all those. And uh, that's been super fun. But I do have to say, I, I kind of fell off of TNG or, or Star Trek after Next Generation. And the, and the theme song starts again. <laughs> and I played a lot. I, I, so I watched some of Deep Space Nine when it came out and I really fell off. And so I'm excited to when Reengage uh, gets to that point in time to really experience all that as it's happening. I can't wait. Oh, so that's yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, Greg, sorry I, about that. You you said the secret word, and that's what happened. Uh, go, ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Chris. So, so when when DS Nine does come into the picture, then are you guys going to go concurrent, like a broadcast order kind of a thing? I think so. I think so. Wow. I think that might be really that's fun. That's um, awesome. I'm not sure if we'll do it necessarily all about uh, you know concentrated in broadcast order. But we might go from series to series. Sure. Premiere order. Right. Um, but yeah, there was just a wealth of stuff that I know people love. I've heard you guys talk about enterprise and, and, and all the things like, for example, I didn't know what section 32 was. I had no idea sure. until it showed up on discovery. And so sure. I went back and started rewatching right. uh, some of those episodes, but now I'm like, yeah, I got the real taste. I want to go and, and, and set it all as it's, so, as it's going. So, so Greg, have you had a chance to watch? Um, you know, I know, I know that a lot of people, had uh, especially at the time right they fell in love with tng and they fell in love with that crew and they had a very visceral reaction which i know is is completely the antithesis of the star trek fan had it had a very visceral reaction to the new star trek um mm -hmm. uh, my tongue is fully in my cheek as i'm saying that but <laughs> um but to to deep space nine did you follow deep space nine when you were a kid did you continue to watch all of the series as they aired? Did you, no, like, was your, I didn't. I watched, I, watched, okay. I watched a good portion of the first and second season of DS9. Sure. Um, but I did not follow it along. And it, you know, honestly, it just coincided with going to college, honestly. Right. And so right. I just didn't jump into that. I had theater. I had so many other things that were kind of pulling at my, um, my, my attention span. Right. And same thing with Voyager. I watched the pilot, watched some of the first couple of seasons, but I definitely didn't follow it all the way along. And Enterprise oh, okay. was one I completely missed. I did not watch any of Enterprise, but that's why I'm excited to go back. Um, oh, okay. So you haven't, you haven't watched them at all since... No. Oh, oh man. Oh man. That's please, why I'm so please. excited. Yes, please. As you guys go forward, please come back so that we can talk about uh, your experiences with those series, especially understanding that Star Trek is above and beyond TNG. Cause I think TNG for, for what it's worth kind of was like, it wasn't a show of its time, but it was also a show of its time. And there were, Definitely some very '90s takes in in the show, but it wasn't <laughs> as uh, you know, it wasn't so much an allegory for what real life was um, at that time. I don't think as as 
as TOS was, right? Like the mission wasn't as as like definitive and definitely wasn't as as much of its time as Enterprise was, which I think was the the next show where like the times really informed the the premise of the show and and ha- you know the narrative scope of the show. So yeah. it'll be really interesting for you guys specifically to uh take a look at how where that show was going and how it shifted based on the times. I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait. wait either. I know. Right. I know, right? And then, you know, the you asked about the films too, like yeah. I I I love those uh those um original series cast films uh, a lot i would be hard to pick one i'm gonna do a weird one though and pick search for spock is is my favorite sure because it was the one that really made it feel more like an episodic storyline uh you know almost all the rest of them that that two three four you know continuous storyline but three really kind of sold it for me as it being uh these people growing and changing over time versus you know like five, for example, which just feels you know Final Frontier. You just kind of place anywhere on the timeline. Right, uh, they're just old. Uh, or, that, that or, the, or, the not, or not place it on the timeline, depending on how much you yeah, like depending it. on <laughs> your perspective. Just clear yeah. it out. Just completely erase it. That's probably <laughs> the best way to do it uh, for that one. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed the the uh, Kelvin timeline reboots as well. And now that we're in this like amazing period where it seems like there's just this blowing up of star trek again and getting one everyone into it i have picking and choosing i can't watch it all i haven't been able to watch lower decks or uh the other animated show prodigy uh, prodigy yeah. um but i'm all in on discovery and, and picard and i can't wait for brave new world nice all right all right well uh i you know so glad to to have you here especially since um your entry into the the fandom was with the title character that is uh, the show that we're going to be talking about today, uh, Picard's episode uh, one and two. Uh, but before we start talking about that and before we get into any news, uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank our guest from last last week's episode, um, Dan Decker. Uh, he was he was awesome, and I would love uh, to see a Trek off, a Trek trivia off between him and Chris, um, his, <laughs> his knowledge is encyclopedic. And, uh, you know, I, I think there, there's no other person that be a formidable opponent than, than our great captain. <laughs> well, now there's performance anxiety connected right, to right. that. <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, like I said, we're, we're here today to talk about the first two episodes of Star Trek Picard, finally back after redefining who Jean-Luc Picard is, while also giving Data a farewell befitting a character of his stature. Uh, we will not be talking about Star Trek Discovery tonight, but instead we'll be talking about the upcoming episodes of Discovery in our next episode. Um... And uh, before we get into our title discussion or our series discussion, I think it's time to to get a little news. So uh, let's have a little news. Well, all the news this week is video game related uh so um 
Well, we'll start with the bad news first. So, guys, uh, Star Trek Bridge Crew has been delisted from Oculus from the Oculus and Steam stores. Uh, I discovered this bit of news in the worst possible way after suggesting to a friend to purchase this game for their <laughs> brand new VR device. Um, there, there has been no explanation for why it has been dis- delisted, but the suspicion is that it has to do with licensing, and the hope is that it will be rectified soon. We've we've seen precedent of that happening before. Um, as of now, the only place to purchase Bridge Crew is from the Ubisoft website, uh, and it is still available if you've already purchased it. Um, but uh, I think it's also available on the PSVR store, uh, but I'm not absolutely positive of that. Um, Chris and I have definitely played this together, but have the rest of you played it or had any plans on purchasing it? Uh, Greg, I'll start with you. Um, no, I've never played it. I remember when it there was something like this called the Artemis. Uh, yes, yes, something like that. It was like it yes. was a non-licensed version of this mm-hmm. uh, game, and I remember people being so excited about it. I don't think it was even VR at the time. It was it was almost pre-VR, but it was able yeah. to be done. And I remember uh, I, one of my colleagues at the Escapist, uh, Paul Kubman, was super excited about it, and one really thought that it did a good job of basically doing role play uh, on 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 how to be. <laughs> working together as uh, on your console and things like that. Right. So I, I always wanted to hear about it and, and play it, but you know, it's sad that it might be going away, but I, I, like you said, it probably just has to do with some thing expiring and not being right. renewed in time or something. Right. Right. Uh, Rachel, have you, have you had a chance to play this? Uh, I played it a little bit when okay. Chris forced me to. Right. Um, <laughs> VR is not really my thing, so I don't sure. really like VR. But you know, I really enjoyed listening to Chris play with strangers online, like at one in the morning, and I could hear him like through the bedroom wall, and I could hear him. Be- he's like, "Put put down your beer, quit drinking, and we need to <laughs> you need to charge weapons for me." It was the coils. It was charge the warp coils. Charge the warp coils. You can't have a drunk crew when yeah, you that have does, to get out of dodge. It <laughs> seems like exactly the type of leadership that a crew needs. I mean, yeah, well done, absolutely. Chris. Absolutely. Yeah. That was like uh, a Kobayashi Maru situation right. there. Yeah. The, and and there actually well, and is I, a Kobayashi, Kobayashi Maru uh, situation in Bridge Crew. Um, yes, that was the very last trophy that I got playing. I did platinum the game. On the oh, nice. And I oh. also did check. It is gone from the PSN store. Oh, really? Oh, so it is gone everywhere. So you can yeah. buy it on the Ubisoft store right now from their browse, just the browser version, not from the app. But you can't play it anywhere if you buy it. Because it's it's not available on any of the stores that um, currently, <laughs> currently have VR... Um, the ability to to play VR, so that's that's interesting. Ty, have you had a chance to play this game? Were you interested in it at all? Well, I downloaded the game years ago, but I don't, oh, I don't okay. have you know my my VR headset is like a hand me down. It's like a you know Rift One or something like right. that. So I was just trying to play it in the non VR, but they took the uh, the voice commands out of it like oh. years ago, and so unless you're playing with other real humans, it's like this tedious thing of clicking on you know control panels and stuff like that. So uh, 
you know, thanks for the invite when you guys were playing it. But uh, no, I have not checked it out. And uh, I feel like probably that that starship has uh, sailed for me at this point. So well, we've almost got a full compliment here. If, yeah. Uh, if we ever decided to. I mean, oh, yeah. Two VR well, <laughs> no, but I just assume that you didn't want to play it. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. But <laughs> you, you assume correctly. Kevin. We'll send Rachel um, out on the away teams. We actually, uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention way back in episode number 23 of Discovery Debrief, I did a breakdown of Star Trek in modern gaming, and it included a review of Bridge Crew at the time. Um, it's the game that single-handedly convinced me that VR can be a social experience. It was phenomenal, and I'm sorry that it can't have new audiences. Well, at least for now, right? Uh, one can hope. I do have uh, it downloaded. I mean, it sounds like we need to right. do, you know, Debrief does uh, Kobayashi Maru for charity here. Uh, I, yeah, hey, I, I'm with cool. it. I'm you with see it. See how long uh, we can last. Yeah. Why yeah. Not? There you go. There you go. I I love this. I love this. Maybe maybe we can uh, recruit Zachy. I don't know if he has a <laughs> VR headset. Um, we can we can definitely do some bridge crew. Uh, that's so, guys. That was the bad news. So now you guys ready for the good news? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. All right. All right. Now the good news. The upcoming title, Star Trek Resurgence, is the feature game for gaming website IGN's IGN First series uh, for the month of March. They have already released some exclusive videos, including a cutscene that includes the crew of the USS Resolute and a briefing by Ambassador Spock. While not Leonard Nimoy, the actor seems to be doing his best to channel the originator of the character. Have you guys had a chance to read up on any of the information provided so far? Or, and are you excited about the release of the game later this year, Ty? I know we've talked about it before on previous episodes, but uh, have you had a chance to read yeah. up any? I mean, last time we talked about it on this show was the first I had heard of the game. Um, and having had a chance to learn a little bit more about it and then check out uh, this, uh, whatever we're calling it, teaser trailer that dropped. Sure. Um, definitely pretty excited. Like, it really feels like a true, like that that briefing that you talked about that Ambassador Spock gives feels like a real true episode of star trek like a, a yes. you know a real um problem solving diplomatic crisis with some you know complexities thrown in and i really like that it seems to be uh not just straight up starfleet are the good guys they're awesome uh follow their orders and you will save the galaxy but seems to be adding a little bit of uh complexity and nuance to that um yes so you know some of the pacing and stuff like that the trailer was a little awkwardly slow and things like that but yeah i'm, I'm really pumped for it just just on the basis of what i've seen so far yeah rachel what about you have you have you been paying attention to this uh, no, <laughs> only as yeah, I heard Chris watching, I overheard him watching the trailer yesterday or the day before, and I did not know that it wasn't Leonard Nimoy. So that's, that's a ringing endorsement. Yeah. Good for them. Right. That's a ringing endorsement. Uh, so does that make you more or less excited for the game? Me? I mean, I'm not yeah. going to play it. Probably. Why not? Oh, okay. Right. Why not? I, well, I don't have time for that. <laughs> Look, Chris looks genuinely offended only, and hurt. By only this. because, like, it's not that Rachel plays every game that comes out, but the kinds yeah. of games that she does play, I know very well. One of sure. them being Telltale games, right? And this play. is very well. There haven't been any for several years because Telltale <laughs> died. But yeah. this is a Telltale style game, right. and it's Star Trek. 
Rachel. Well, well, the, I mean, the thing the thing that we know is that it will be in her household. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And and she will just by happenstance come across it um, during her day to day. So she may wind up actually be being becoming interested in it in it as a result of you playing it. So By osmosis. It's possible. By osmosis. I mean, that is correct. It's definitely going to be coming to my Xbox first and it could very right. well find its way onto my PlayStation somehow. So <laughs> just, just because, so yeah, it's going to be nearby. Right. Yeah. So Chris, we, we, we already know that you're going to, you're going to get it. You're going to have it on both of your systems. Greg, what is your interest level with this game? I dig it, man. I loved all the Telltale games, and uh, I didn't realize that this was, I guess the company is called Dramatic Labs, but it's formed yes. from 20 former Telltale story writers. So I'm like, oh, yes. man, this really does have all that DNA in there. Yeah. And I loved the way that they handled IP like Game of Thrones and Wolf Among yes. Us, you know, capturing the the feel of those uh intellectual properties really really well while also giving some really hard choices uh, if i'm thinking right. of that first uh, season of walking dead yeah, uh, the game uh, i played that when i had just had my first daughter oh, oh boy oh boy oh boy oh boy that was a oh boy that was a rough one uh but <laughs> yeah. also really being like i don't want this to happen to her right so yeah. if yeah. uh you know if any of that kind of emotional gravitas comes to uh, a star trek title like this I'm, yeah. I'm all for it yeah absolutely yeah yeah they they uh that telltale ped pedigree especially with the uh the care with which they use their licenses um or, or and the way they treat them uh tales from the borderlands was remarkable uh, as mm -hmm. well. Um, the Game of Thrones game, as you mentioned, also incredibly, incredibly good. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I am uh, very, very excited um, for this game. And if anybody who knows anyone that is uh, responsible for developing this game, they want to come and talk to some Star Trek nerds, uh, they can come and hang out with us here on uh, Discovery Debrief. That so can I just say... Oh, I'm sorry, but about that trailer, it did my heart good to see uh, a round-the-table briefing with Starfleet officers giving their two cents on a plan and like right. the ambassador and the captain like weighing their options. It was just, oh, yeah, it just felt so Star Trek. I'm sorry, I cut you off, Chris. No, yeah. no, you can, and, and the fact that at least in one instance, you can choose to either like geek out at Spock's face or to contribute something to the overall conversation was a fun thing to throw in too. Right. Right. And, absolutely. And I mean, I, I would like to think that there's a lot of Spock's diplomatic career that we still haven't seen. So uh, the yeah, fact that, I, I mean, I would argue most of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of course. But I mean, even though unlike star Wars, other media, Star Trek stuff is very much not canonical, at least not right now. It's right. still nice to get a glimpse at what could be. So I yeah. think there's a lot to look forward to with this. I'm I'm very much anticipating it. Yeah, I I, I mean I am uh, really excited for this game. Uh, you know, it, I mean it should come as no surprise. I love Telltale games. I love Star Trek. Um, so yeah, I think I would love the Star Trek Telltale style game. Um, and uh, I can't wait for this game to be released so I can consume it, um, and talk about it probably here on the show, uh, when it comes out later this year.
Yeah. And there will be no NFTs. There will be no (laughs) NFTs. You know. The, or microtransactions, is, you know, or right. it won't be episodic either. So I I've like always felt that's like, the thing Star Trek really missed about our you know future of humanity. So <laughs> where's the blockchain in this? Oh, man. There's Not no even money. Gene Roddenberry yeah. could have conceived of such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's too beautiful. Um, yeah, I I am you know like I one of the things that I really loved about the telltale games was the fact that they were episodic. Um, you know, as, as, uh, you, uh, the clouds are new parents, Chris is, a, a, and Greg is a, a new parent, uh, or not a new parent, but as a parent, mm-hmm. um, you, you really gain a sense and, and tie even, you know, as you adult further, right. As you continue to level up in adulting, um, you learn how, little time you have for the things that you love that you used to have lots of time for uh and gaming happens to be one of those things and i love the fact that you could sit back and say um i know that i can sit down with this game for two hours right like all i need is two hours and i can play through something from the beginning to the end that will leave me at a place that will leave me at a great stopping point where I can go and go to sleep and think about it to the next day when I can, I know I can also steal away two hours to do the exact same thing. Um, and, and that was, you know, that was something that I really, really like loved about episodic games. And I think was undervalued uh, in terms of, in terms of what they brought to gamers like me. It's not Elden Ring that's going to be, you know, 400 hours of play. (laughs) It's it's 40 minutes, uh, you know, if if you, if you space it out. Yeah. No, there is something to that. And never, you're right. It never caught on. Telltale was the only one who really did it and did it well so that you you felt like, I mean, even at the end of some of those uh, episodes from The Walking Dead or, or, or Game of Thrones, you'd be like, what's going to happen next? I can't wait until it comes out. And you didn't, you didn't get that with gaming as much. And so. Um, you're right. I, I, I'm. They're not doing that, I guess, with this one. I think that was a big criticism that Telltale always faced. So I think they're just right. like, we're going to make a game, we're going to sell it, we're going to yes. make money. Hopefully, you get to make uh, Resurgence two and Resurgence three. Absolutely, and absolutely. And we, and you know, we've kind of talked about if uh, if this is successful, that maybe um, they can use the same technology to uh, flesh out the some of the stories for the Discovery Bridge crew. You know, um, so the, you know the. The possibilities are endless. Uh, <laughs> so, speaking of speaking of episodic content, let's go on and talk about Picard episodes one and two from season two. A reminder for our listeners that our episodes, our episode discussions on Discovery Debrief are meant to be an accompaniment to your episodic viewing and not as a replacement to watching. Please be sure to have watched our subject show prior to listening, ensuring you get the most out of our discussion. All right. Now that that disclaimer is out of the way, um, I can say proudly to my panel a glorious eradication day to you all. Insert <laughs> <laughs> Picard chance here. Right. <laughs> 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 right, right, right. 
So the, the season opens up uh, on the USS Stargazer uh, under the command of Captain Cristobal Rios. Claxons blaring. The ship is under attack. Cut to the bridge. We find a synthetic creature with its literal tank tentacles sunk into the ship. We see a distressed Dr. Agnes Gerardi, seven of nine, and eventually a disheveled Admiral, Jean-Luc Picard, who orders the Stargrazer to self-destruct before it is revealed that the insurgent is a Borg Queen? The Borg Queen? I don't know. Uh, we flash to white and go back in time 48 hours to Chateau Picard, where Jean-Luc is sharing a glass of wine with Romulan confidant Laris. It is clear from this conversation that Laris is ready to make their relationship something more, but Picard is playing shy brother and rebuffs her advances in the latest, in the lightest of ways. It seemed clear to me uh, then and more apparent as we, it seemed clear to me then and more apparent as we learned more that the, the themes of this season seem to be love and time as much as last season's themes were friendship and time. Uh, did you get that sense as well? Or do you think I'm just reading too much into what we've been shown so far? Chris, we'll go, I'll start with you. Well, uh, I don't know if you've been reading things incorrectly. I think that that is uh, reasonably well open to interpretation. Uh, it seems like across the first two episodes, at least, and I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but... Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, please. Love is kind of an underpinning idea that seems to inform what everybody's doing to a certain extent, but it hits far harder in the first episode than it does the second, at least to me. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of runway left here, and there's certainly a lot of room to explore some of these other well-established relationships and uh, a character that we'll talk about from the end of this episode and the beginning of the next one, it's possible that love could inform the motivations of that character. It has been uh, explored similarly in interesting ways in the past. Um, but I, I, I would certainly not presume to say that you've been reading too much into it because, you know, the prediction is half the fun. But right. I can certainly see... Uh, that it's possible that they're laying the groundwork in that direction for the rest of the season. Rachel, uh, am I seeing, uh, am I seeing what I'm meant to be seeing or am I bugging out? <laughs> I kind of interpreted that as thinking about like the roads not taken and that mm -hmm. Picard and his life has not had a great romances and and great overarching loves and so he in terms of him thinking about what other paths could my life have taken um and i think that you're definitely not out of line in thinking that maybe this whole path not taken might lead back to some more romantic entanglements or so, something to do with that. But I think in terms of the whole season, it seems like it's talking about like what if and alternate alternate timelines. Greg, during during TNG, we we got to see Picard have uh, lots of love affairs, um, but not many relationships sans the one that they 
consistently teased between him and and the doctor and Dr. Crusher. Um, do you do you feel like they're setting us up for Picard to have finally have a companion, a romantic companion at the end of the series or or the end of the season even? I I think you're right though that I think I think they're going to investigate this for him. I think his actual question of like why am I alone is 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 going to be the overhanging thing and I thought mm-hmm. that when we saw the promos and and Guinan showing up I think we were all excited and I and perhaps this was misdirect in the marketing I thought it had <laughs> to do more with Q but I thought it was really telling that their first interaction in this first uh episode was about love it was about his love life it wasn't about overarching galaxy ending plots (laughs) it was just like hey uh, friends you know me they have had some connection over over many many times so like i think you're right uh cicero and that this might be a theme that is continued over and over again and i you know just having the context of having watched some uh earlier tng episodes it's something that picard is constantly struggling with um uh, his relationship with Wesley Crusher is wrapped up in it as well. When Wesley's like, "Oh, I don't know if I can handle girls," and Picard has a moment where he's like, I, I, "That was always my problem. I, I thought about them too much. I was always, you know, into women." I was like, "That's not the Picard that I remember. That's so <laughs> odd." Uh, but it also follows. He's like, he was a little bit of a playboy. There's another episode early on where uh, he's in love with a French woman. Um, and leaves her to go join Starfleet or, or have his first um, uh, mission, you know, first uh, mm-hmm. assignment and just like leaves her there. And he has all that regret wrapped up in it. And so I think this is going to be a thing that is continuing to uh, prey on him in his in his old age of like, why didn't I ever get along? And uh, man, poor Laris. She right. really... I wouldn't say she laid it on thick, but she definitely made her intentions be known. And she, she shot her shot. She shot her shot. She shot yes. her shot. And he, she, and she doesn't it. even get the the courtesy of a no. He's just right. like a, oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's out of there. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And then he, yeah. Before, before she, she goes to look for him and he has taken, he has taken off, uh, you know, uh, Picard was a Rolling Stone. Uh, Ty, what, <laughs> what, uh. What are your feelings about uh, Rolling Stone Picard? Yeah, I think this is a great way to kind of like frame the season, you know, and a great way to start the conversation. I think this really reveals to me how like we have a language language that is really impoverished when it comes to the word love, because Mm -hmm. to me, the season is very clearly about love. It just depends on how you define it. Right. Uh, We're all jumping to romantic love, it sounds like. And there's definitely uh, definitely like a greater uh, just acknowledgement that that's kind of a fundamental part of the human experience in this show compared to a lot of other Trek that's out there, especially TNG, where it's sort of this thing that professional officers leave to the side, you know, 95% right. of the time. And so Unless you will write the time that they're on duty. Yeah, he doesn't right. count. Uh, Um, but it's you know there's been this huge acknowledgement uh not just with picard but also like between gerardi and rios that's been mentioned a couple of times already again this season even between raffi and seven they've uh explicitly mentioned that uh you know potential for a relationship uh a couple of times already this season which is again like just comparing it to tng just 
such a greater acknowledgement of the existence of romantic relationships uh, like in people's lives on a day-to-day basis than we've seen there. Um, but don't, you know, there's also the thing with Picard and having these visions of his mother. Um, and it's really interesting to hear Patrick Stewart on the ready room say that, uh, you know, he, he's probably not a reliable narrator when it comes to some of those flashbacks and memories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting wrinkle, but Uh, Yeah, there's clearly some kind of, you know, whether you want to call it love or whether you just want to call it like interpersonal deep connections with others. You know, in the last episode of talking about Discovery, we talked about this like intimate but platonic relationship between um, Detmer and Awoshikun. And I think, you know, so so you can see love existing on this spectrum. Some of which involves romance and some of which very much doesn't, but uh, definitely relationships that fall somewhere in that spectrum seem like they're definitely going to be a a fundamental part of whatever game is being played or not being played this season. Sure. Go ahead, Chris. Well, yeah, I think it's, it's worth noting as well. Sorry. I think it's worth (laughs) noting as well in, in comparison to Picard presents a really unique opportunity um, in, in Star Trek franchise history, because it's another it's another chance for the captain to have uh, just additional development in pretty much all aspects of his life. If you look at each uh, leading character, each captain in the shows, at least prior to Discovery, they have all had very different interactions with romantic partners or romantic prospects, right? Like Jim Kirk was probably most infatuated with what came with his job. So he was in effect kind of married to the enterprise and that was his primary concern. He had had romantic relationships that progressed pretty far. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, except in the case of like Carol Marcus, like with Carol Marcus, he had a child and they mutually decided for him not to be a part of, of David's upbringing because he had a, a first love. With Picard, at least what we had seen up through Nemesis, he just seems far more consumed by his duty, right? It's not necessarily that he finds uh, his job intoxicating or or seductive in a sense like like Kirk does. He is just he he's he's sent to a higher calling, and that's what has pretty much informed every single piece of his action. It also kind of rubbed off, at least for a little while, on Will Riker until it didn't. Um, and then with Janeway, she just never really had an opportunity for connection with anybody. She was certainly open to it, but then she was extracted from her entire world. So she was forced to take on additional responsibility. And you go even back to the dawning of pre-Federation, uh, Archer was just like a, a preeminent explorer who was open to it, but never really seemed to find a, the, the right full on connection, Right. There is one exception to this whole rule of the captains who have actually managed to have a fully featured romantic relationship uh, kind of twice. Uh, Ben Sisko's first marriage ended tragically. So it's not like that faded away or anything. It's just it, it reached a conclusion and it traumatized him for a long time. But he's also the only one who managed to maintain a romantic relationship up to and including an additional marriage. Um, And what does that say? Is it, is it, 
is the fact that he's a father opening him up more to the potential possibilities of romantic relationships? Uh, is he more at peace with that part of himself in comparison with the other captains? I don't know, but it's an interesting comparison to draw. So the opportunity presented by Picard is a very unique one because we know where this show ends. There's one season left and I doubt we're going to see Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard again after that season. They seem to see the end in sight at the beginning of this season. And I'm sure that this is one of those loose ends that they're going to want to wrap up. Hmm. So just a few thoughts. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, very, very well said. I, I, the thing I keep getting stuck with is that uh, young Picard seems like he just came back in from selling a bunch of newspapers for two bits. Uh, which, <laughs> <laughs> Explain which was, the accent too. Explain the British accent a little bit yeah, for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, right. X3, X3. Yeah. Those are very I, good British accents. Oh, right. oh yeah. Oh, thank and, you. And we also didn't mention, too, like how, how, much, how much is his mother going to play into his interactions? Absolutely. With absolutely. And, and, you know, that is that is something I didn't put in the, into the notes um, that we, we wind up getting in the flashback. Um, his his mother asking him to look up and giving this kind of exposition about why you you look up and you look to the stars and you dare to dream and that kind of stuff and then and then we get the Borg queen this Borg queen that doesn't look like Borg uh, a, a a typical a stereotypical Borg queen or a Borg queen as we as we know them um saying the same things to Jean-Luc Picard um so maybe his mother was assimilated at some point we don't know um n- nobody they knows have, they have his memories from when he was assimilated absolutely as Luke, absolutely uh, Luke, Luke, Luke. Well, true Greg yes. probably also relatively recently watched the only time we've seen a depiction of Picard's mother and she looked very different than what we saw in yeah. this, this latest episode. Just like She's sitting the old, at the table with the old lady. Yeah. yeah right. And this yeah. hallucination Mama. that he has. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was extremely creepy. But you know what I love about this? I mean, just, I know you don't, we don't want to talk too much about the mother, but no, I, no, no, please, I, please. Couldn't, I couldn't separate it too much from Patrick Stewart and his uh, work that he's done for um, women who have been in uh, abusive relationships. He's been very Absolutely. open about like, that was his experience. I, I was bringing a lot of that to this and I don't know sure. why. I'm not sure if it's intended quite yet. I, you know, I, I, I wonder if uh, him having the agency to be able to talk about those things didn't inform the way that these characters were portrayed. And I also um, just like I, how what yeah. she's saying, look to the stars. Right. That's stargazing. That's yes. the stargazer. stargazer. And I love right. that yeah, kind of right. referentialness that, yeah. yes. that's yes. going on. I'm so glad yes. that they brought back that name Absolutely. of that ship. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is it is it definitely as Picard says in the second episode of Full Circle Moment. Um speaking of Picard, he he gives a commencement at uh, a commencement speech to Starfleet Academy, which includes the first Romulan to ever enlist into Starfleet, uh first full Romulan to ever enlist into uh, Starfleet, Elnor of the Kuat Malat, kind of. <laughs> um, we learned that Elnor will be assigned to the USS Excelsior under the watchful eye of Commander Rafaela Muska, Mus- Musiker, um, a.k.a. Rafi, uh, while Jean-Luc assumes his role as Chancellor of Starfleet Academy. 
Uh, in this sequence, we get a reference to Lower Decks character Sam Rutherford uh, when Commander Rutherford is called to duty on the Excelsior. Uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about season one of Picard was how it was less a show about Starfleet and the Federation than it was about the citizens of the Federation. And uh, that one of the big things was that our principal cast clothing reflected as much. Uh, how did it feel seeing so many of our cast in Starfleet uniforms at the beginning of the season? Uh, was it fine or or did you find it anachronistic? Rachel, I'll start with you. Well, I kind of liked it because, you know, I like Star Trek and they're always wearing their uniforms. So <laughs> for me, I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. They're like all it seemed like so much time had passed. They were all right. in their like ships and stuff. And right. um, I thought it was I thought it was great. I think uh, Captain Rios looked really good in his uniform with his his cigar <laughs> I, like that was, that was, he was cool so yeah. um yeah i know i didn't have a problem with it and i didn't find it jarring i just thought maybe uh, there was something i missed because i was like oh they're all in like they have like whole lives like it seems like yeah. a lot of time has passed since the end of season one or maybe i'm misremembering i don't know uh so, so and yeah. and and that's actually a really good point that you bring up, uh, Rachel. Is that there is no indication of how much time has passed between season one and the beginning of season two, um, and I, you know, and I think because we're kind of going on this uh, what I call what I called Q and John Luke's bogus journey, um, <laughs> <laughs> since we're going on uh, on this this time travel. Uh, uh, escapade I, I i think that they're not going to spend a lot of time focusing on how much time has passed between uh where we were at the end of of season one and where we are now at the beginning of season two um but uh ty how did how does it sit with you to see uh these people that kind of seem like they were outside of the system be very much a part of the system as, as we meet them in the beginning of the of yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a big shift. I for some reason I thought it had been about a year. I thought somebody had said something along oh, those that, lines, or if not, that's possible. very right. much what was in my head. Um, right. But yeah, I, I just totally agree with Rachel. It was a really good way to you know you have this universe. We know what it means to be in Starfleet, so leaning on that as kind of a shorthand to show like the change, especially in Rios. I think is probably the character where you you know he's he's just by wearing that uniform and being the star, uh, the captain of a Starfleet ship, he's clearly right. That, you know, so much about the, whatever you want to call it, growth or transition or evolution that he mm -hmm. must have experienced since the last time that we saw him on Picard. So it worked really well as a device to get that done. Uh, I don't, I don't get the sense that we are going to be staying in those Starfleet uniforms, doing normal Starfleet stuff for long. <laughs> and uh, some of the, our main cast already is, uh, out of that, you know, who cares how much time has passed because that's all been undone at the point of the story right. we're at now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought it worked really well as a way to like, I think I went like along with Rachel, I had me asking a couple, like, I was like, Oh wow. Like what, what's going on here? I didn't, how much time has passed? And, um, it kind of quickly forces your mind to get up to speed with like, you know, sort of, and the big thing to me too, was all these characters are now in the good graces of, uh, the Federation and Starfleet. They're not rogue operatives doing this crazy countermanding or countermanding their orders type of thing anymore. They are all right. Like whatever happened in season one has been fully 
absolved, accepted, uh, recognized for, you know, for being positive actions. And these people all have positions of, uh, right. Like, you don't become a a captain of a Starfleet ship overnight. So clearly Rios got some, uh, you know, credit for, uh, time served, you know, for, for, uh, meritorious <laughs> actions or whatever. So yeah, I thought it worked well. Chris, I, I know it did your, your heart, uh, some good to see while, while not obviously not in full, well, maybe he guess, I guess maybe he was in dress uniform. He definitely was in dress uniform for the commencement ceremony, but to see Admiral Picard, uh, wearing wearing the insignia again and and seeing the rest of the uniforms. Uh, did it did it feel anachronistic for you to see Rios and and Rafi donning uh Starfleet uniforms again? No, it was coming home. Basically, okay. um, I thought that season one did a really solid job of establishing Rios's bona fides, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of his history in Starfleet and. And how he basically just had kind of tried to find an additional life for himself when it didn't seem like that was an option anymore. But as soon as I saw that episode from season one, I just kind of felt like, oh, it's a shame that he's not doing what he's clearly uh, really cut out for. So when I saw this for the first time, I mean, it was great, of course, seeing Picard back in uniform uh, with the confidence of the institution that he really helped to further legitimize in the 24th century, but seeing Rios as captain just felt really cool. It just seemed like, uh, and I, and I did look it up. Apparently season one ended in 2399 and right. season two picks up in 2401. So a oh, fair okay. amount so of time is two, two years. Okay. And I actually, so it's 25th I, century now. Yeah. We're in the 25th century. Official, and, um, yeah, okay. I actually did start listening. There's an audio drama that they released uh, with Seven and with Rafi, and they're both voiced by their original actresses. Oh. Uh, it's only like, I think it's like an hour and 40 minutes long. It's not very long, but it tells Beautiful. a story about an adventure they go on in between season one and two, and they do explore, at least at the beginning, I haven't finished it yet, but they do explore a little bit more about this burgeoning relationship between the two of them. And it's, it's really cool. It's a nice character study. And then of course it barrels into the action. And right now that's the less interesting part to me, but uh, still worth, uh, worth people's time. But just in general, um, seeing Elnor in particular was a really nice moment where he's because if there is a constant uh, posture that the Federation has had, particularly towards Romulus and Romulus, I guess post Romulus now, but mm. uh, they've always been very, very uh, arm's length with any Romulan. And that goes back uh, well into the original series. Um, and I mean, there's a whole really solid episode of TNG that's about uh, the, the faceless menace of, of the Romulans and how a, a crew member, uh, oh no, they, they had a grandfather who was a Romulan. So we have to get this person out of Starfleet. He's not loyal enough, clearly. And of course, what does Jean-Luc Picard think about that? But um, there was, I thought there was a really powerful and potent symbol in the acceptance of Elnor into the Academy to become the first full-blooded Romulan Starfleet cadet and conceivably the first full Romulan Starfleet officer. Because it just signifies that the Federation is moving on from a dark period of its past very clearly in season one, but also too uh, into uh, uh, 
boogeymanism that goes well back into Starfleet's history. So that to me was probably one of the cooler moments, but I mean, how can you not just be like, Oh man, Captain Rios, he is a bad ass. I will follow that man into the gates of hell. That was, uh, that was great. Yeah. The, the, uh, the crew definitely seems to have that level of devotion, uh, to, or, or, uh, respect for him, not devotion. Uh, but, but that level of respect for, for their captain, Greg, um, how did you feel about uh, removing the uniforms in season one? We, you know, we ne- we've never asked you. And how did you feel about seeing them have them in season two? I uh, w- it was taken aback because that first season of Picard, I loved that it was about the people and the citizens of the Federation and how you could be left out of the Federation and the undercurrents of politics about that. I kind of really enjoyed that take on this star trek universe and it feels like a little bit like the second star wars prequel movie uh Mm -hmm. attack of the clones where it feels like the most important stuff happened in between the movies right Right. yes yes yes. all of a sudden they're completely different characters and uh, (laughs) it was a little bit jarring for me in that i wanted to know more about uh the decisions that were made because they were like as i think time edge they were all estranged in the first season of Picard, they were all like on the outs yes. with the Federation. So yes. are we led to believe that something was at the events of the finale of season one that led to them all being like, okay, you're cool now. You know, <laughs> Admiral Riker says you're cool. So you're in my book right. fast track right. them on the way to captain. I want to know all those stories, <laughs> but uh, I do agree that if this was a nice way to just kind of start the ball running with this story. Like sure. everybody's in a new situation. They're all right. uh, where they feel like they are meant to be rather than in season one, when it was all like a little bit of tragedy for each one of these characters, that tragedy has been resolved, but now they have that status quo that everyone was so happy now it gets to get fucked up, and I really like that. So, right. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm a, I'm of two minds, but I really do wish uh, I want. And I didn't know about this audio drama, so now I want to go and listen to that and and find yeah. out more about those two characters in particular. Yeah, yeah. If you're 100%. an audible member, they take a credit for it. So that's nice. oh, all right. Yeah, there I've got go. I've got plenty of those. I got credits I for days. <laughs> yeah, I've, I haven't been commuting, so I haven't been using a lot of uh, yeah, credits. Right? So, Me neither. Yeah, so yeah, I'll definitely uh, be partaking of that. Uh, hey, uh, so uh, thank you very much for that, Greg. Um, two episodes in, and we've been given a chance to see, uh, to 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 say good to see you again to Guinan and Q, uh, both characters making mention of how they don't age, but Picard does. Uh, and... We, we know from previews that we'll also run into Brent Spiner in some capacity uh, in, dur- at some point during the course of the season. Uh, were you hoping to catch up with more of the TNG crew or characters from that era of the season? If so, who? I'll, I'll start off uh, by saying um, I was hoping, especially when we started to hear about love, I was hoping that we would see... Uh, Beverly Crusher. We talked about her last season. I was hoping that we would see her this season. Uh, The season's still early. Maybe we will. But Greg, uh, were you hoping to see more characters? Uh, If so, who? I wasn't necessarily hoping to see more characters. I know that was a lot of speculation um, in between this season, even when the first season was, are they going to, are they going to get Jordy LaForge? Is Michael Dorn going to show up as Worf? Like, you know, And I actually think that would be a detriment to the story they're telling if they all started trotting out 
um, <laughs> every like single a <laughs> one that's, yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I think T and G could have done that too. And they very carefully chose to do that spaced out over most of the, over the series. Sure. Um, you know, because you could have just thrown every actor that was still around and make them all happy again. And I don't know if that it, it would feel too much like fan service. I'm, I'm not sure it would, uh, tell the story that they want to tell. So I'm glad that they restricted it to Guinan and Q who have such a powerful connection to each other. Uh, and, uh, especially the Borg, right? I, right. I just rewatched this. So of, so of course, Q who I had forgotten that Q was the person who introduced the entire, the uh, crew yeah. and the entire alpha quadrant to, the Borg in the first place. Yeah. And thanks for that, uh, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. A very different Borg, by the way, very different, very different Borg, Borg, but still very different Borg. It yeah, was all wrapped Borg, up in like, Oh, you yes. think you got this? You don't got this. There's this menace that is going to come and, and be this foil to you all throughout. And I think if they had tried to throw in every other TNG character, uh, that, that kind of, you know, theme continuity would have, mm. would have not worked. Although I will say, I think we heard Brent Spiner's voice. Did you guys hear it in the um, ceremony, the the eradication day ceremony? I could have sworn yes. I heard him. Yeah, well, he's he's definitely in this season. So he's there is going to be Brent Spiner is going to be a character in the past in mm. in twenty twenty four L A. Um, but so I, I would assume that he was available to do other things so he they may have used his voice for for something during yeah i think he's I, I don't know if it is as data or as noonian sing soon mm. uh but he's one of the voiceover that you hear in the in oh. getting people ready you hear picard be like we're gonna kill everybody and i could have sworn i heard brent spiner did you hear it too chris Oh, there's a yeah. statue of somebody sung, not Noonien sung, but someone else that you see in the background, mm. right in San Francisco Bay by the Golden Gate mm. Bridge, and it's oh, Brent yeah. Spiner. Yeah, and yeah. Th I think the subtitles even named which sung it was, and I I wasn't it's familiar like Alan or something. <laughs> Alan sung. <laughs> Alan sung. <laughs> <laughs> was it Alan? I, Jake. I, that's what my brain Jake is telling. <laughs> Brian sung. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, so Chris, yeah, while 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 you're talking, what what are your feelings on? Uh, what characters we have seen so far and what characters uh, that we haven't seen that you would like to see. This well, see, this is where I'm, I'm the fanboy because I want to see everybody. I want to know sure. what everybody's been up to. I, we haven't seen so many of these characters since 2379. And now we're into 2401. Like did Worf resume his diplomatic career? Uh, right. What did Jordy end up doing? Did he ever? Did he ever end up with anybody? Did Jordy right. finally end up with anybody? That's a good sure. question to ask. But oh, um, I think he he did. He ended up with uh, in uh, all good didn't things. He, they didn't tried he wind to up with his yeah. Didn't he wind up with the, the woman he was stalking? But all good, the, the, all the, good, yeah. all good things is an alternate history. It's not true. necessarily what happens because the Enterprise D is in all good things. Um, and right. Didn't yeah, make I, it really, I really wanted Jordy to have that, but now you took it away from him. Thank you. I'm Chris. sorry. I didn't mean to. It's just <laughs> like this is this is what you get from when you when you're a kid and you just read the Star Trek encyclopedia all the time and then you transition into reading Memory Alpha all the time. The rules that govern what continuity is and isn't is just like embedded in my brain. It's like a brand that's been seared into my skull. 
maybe it happened. Who knows? Right. Maybe he actually, but all of that to say that um, I think that there are a lot of characters in the 24th century era who would do well to show up. I mean, I think that after the death of Rene Aubergenois, the ship kind of sailed for a DS9 reunion of some kind. Although DS9 did get a fair amount of love in this season already so far. Um, sure. But, you know, that just does kind of beg the question. We were left on a little bit of a, um, I guess you could call it a cliffhanger when it comes to the fate of Benjamin Sisko. And I would like to see more of that. Is this the right show for it? Probably not. But I was also led to believe, and it could happen at some point in the future, that uh, one of the actors that signed up for season two of this show was Mr. Robert Picardo. I almost hmm. expected him to show up in the president's office or in the president's uh, residence when she woke up. I thought, right. is, is she going to have a hologram there? But, <laughs> but it didn't happen. Um, but I guess the potential possibility is still there. But uh, I, it's, it's a competing desire that I have for good storytelling along with fan service and they don't always <laughs> combine very well. Right. Um, so that's always the question. I thought that things worked out very well when it came to showing us what the Rikers were up to in season one. Sure. And th they were clearly at the top of my list. Like Will Riker is probably my favorite TNG character, all things considered. So the fact that we got that I'm happy with. Is there room for more? I'd like to see what Worf is up to. I'd like to see what Jordy is up to. Uh, we've gotten a glimpse of what Chakotay has been up to. Hell, we don't really know what Admiral Janeway has been up to. I mean, there's there's a lot of characters that could probably be worked in, but the story needs to come first. So when and ask me this question at the end of the season, and sure. Maybe I'll be able to take stock of, well, here's where you could have placed A and B and then could right. have interacted with, C and you know, then I'll get into right. pedantic continuity forecasting. So, all right. All right. There's a, there's a sound for that. Ty, uh, can you, can you uh, postulate who you wanted to see versus uh, who is there? And uh, if, if you can, who would it be? I mean, I love these characters and it, it's great to see the ones that we have seen uh, so far, but you know, uh, I definitely agree. Riker was very much at the top of my list. Um, now that we've seen um, not only him, but like seven is already a core component of the show. I know she's not from TNG, but that's really cool. Right. Uh, we've already gotten uh, Cad Bane. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, but <laughs> at, at some point, at, at some point, yeah, I do. Like, I think I'm a little more with Greg on this, that to me, it becomes almost a little bit distracting, right? Like who's going to show up next and what's going right. to be their story. And sure. is it going to confirm or deny what we thought we knew about them in the past? I'm really like, I'm delighted with who we've had the chance to interact with and cross paths with again so far. Um, and to me, just again, just for me personally, as a viewer, it starts to become a little bit distracting. I would be perfectly happy to hear what's going on with, you know, ambassador war or whatever, you know, like in a, in a little aside one liner type of thing like that without necessarily having to, uh, you know, find a way to like weave them into the story because i think sure. like even in the films right you've seen you've already seen this thing of like jean-luc kind of getting the gang back together and then also in season season one of this show and at some point the right. gang needs to like 
spread their wings and go do their own thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it, like, it's like, how are you going to get Jordy LaForge back crossing paths with Picard where we are right now in a way that feels organic? Uh, I don't know. I'm not a writer. Maybe it could be done, but like, to me, I'm, I'm very content with who we have met and, and uh, talked with so far. Um, Guinan was, uh, it was a weird scene for me. It kind of restated a lot of stuff that had already been said in the episode, but it was still just like lovely to see her and to see like the the warmth and trust between those two characters uh, at a time when you know Picard is about to go undertake some really crazy stuff. Um, right. It was like it was like good fortifying like chicken soup before going out like on a cold day, you know, it was like you, you felt like he was like recharging his batteries by getting to like, right. You, you charge up with Guinan because you know that you're about to have to interact with Q and it's going to be the most draining (laughs) thing you can imagine. So it was really cool uh, to see that. Uh, I can't can't argue with Ty and with Greg. It is a distraction, but I'm always just like, distract me. Distract me. There there was a Picard tie-in novel that, again, not canon, but takes advantage of the world of the show and with kind of a one of those aside lines detailing the transition that Picard makes from being a full-time captain into head of the task force overseeing the evacuation of Romulus. He's the one who handpicks Worf as the next captain of the Enterprise. Hmm. Canonize that. Just mm. say it. Just say it once. Just right. that's, that's all I want. He deserves it. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Chris, Rachel, I, I declare that to be canon. There you go. Enjoy. Good enough for me. Now it's done. It's right. an NFT. Right. <laughs> Only you can own it. Right. Until it gets stolen. Ra- Rachel, are you are you team team chris or you team the crew oh uh, i'm team, you- team the crew I, oh, right. <laughs> I i find these sorts of um pandering appearances of people from the past to be kind of a crutch that writers lean on to cover up their many sins sometimes they're many coming sins. in hot <laughs> um i was very pleasantly surprised with Guinan and q in the first episode i did not hate it um i guess the only thing i was annoyed with was Guinan having to explain why she was older because i was like well i can easily head can- i you know i'm like oh she's old and i'm like ah uh, like I'll just headcanon that away. But then she has to says it. She has to say it. She has to say it. She has to say it out loud. Because right. because you know there's gonna be like these like dudes on Twitter that are like, oh right. she's old. Right. Like, I don't know. Use your imagination, buddy. Like, it's fine. Like <laughs> when I look at her and I look at Patrick Stewart next to each other right. in a scene, I mean one of them looks old. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely felt like I definitely felt like, oh wow, uh, yeah, uh, Whoopi Goldberg doesn't look that old. Like they, you know, they obviously, um, you know, if if you've if you've watched some episodes of the of the View or clips of the View, which I have, I don't know why. Um, we we know we know that Whoopi's hair has grayed, so they put, you know, they gave her a black wig, but obviously, like her wearing her Guinan hats uh, with a little bit of a black wig because, uh, you know, hashtag Black don't crack. <laughs> um, 
she she looks very young with without any signs of gray um and uh, you know unfortunately for patrick stewart he doesn't have he doesn't have that same luxury he looks um, old he looks hey while we're old. on it what did we yes. think of the uh i thought that moment when q appears and he is i guess deep fake yeah. young and then yes. he's oh yeah i forgot i should age and catch up and he snaps and he turns oh that is almost it. exactly how i imagine it playing out in my head yes years ago yes. is i mean right. it's perfect because of course that's how he, oh oh you're old Ooh. well let me show you <laughs> it's just like right so you're cute. all wrinkly right. yeah. and i didn't right. hate that I didn't. Yes. That. yes. The, 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 another spacefaring franchise can take a lesson. You don't always have to 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 do the de aging. Sometimes either the original performer as is or uh, a recasting is okay. It's okay. Yeah. Well, Star Trek has proven that, right? Not only yeah, with John well, Delancey, you know, but with Ethan Peck too. Right. Well, so, when you when you when you've got uh, Disney money, you don't have to worry about you know. Yeah. But, but Paramount. We've, we've but talked Paramount. about how mortality right. they had the Disney money. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so guys, uh, you know, we're two episodes in, and we've been given a chance. Uh, oh, oh, wait a minute! I've already said that. Um, <laughs> we're uh, we're we're at the point where uh, Q he's he's saved our heroes from uh, self-destruction to instead take them to a different type of nightmare, a totalitarian government where most of the, of, of them are pretty influential people. Picard is the conquering hero or villain. Um, Seven is the president. Rafi is a top cop. Gerardi is like a head doctor or something. I don't know. Um, and Rios is a colonel. Uh, a distress cue shows Picard his own trophy room in Chateau Picard, and uh, it's complete with skulls of Golda Cat and uh, General Martok <sighs> and Sarek, who was murdered in front of Picard, uh, in, st- in front of, uh, by Picard's own hand, in front of his son and his wife at the Vulcan Science Academy. Um, the the writers have gone to great lengths to say that this is not the Terran Empire, but the Confederation of Earth in the Prime Universe. Are you comfortable with how similar to what would what would classically be tropes of the Mirror Universe uh, this new reality is, or does it not matter since we already know we're not going to we're we're not going to be here for that long and we're going to the the past soon anyway which happens to be 2 years into our future. Uh Ty, what do you what do you think of this? Yeah, I don't you know, it was pretty amazing to see like it was like for me it was kind of like, "Oh, wow, okay, we get it." And then it was like, "No, but there's skulls." And it was like, "Wow, okay, we get it." And it was like, "No, but there's <laughs> like a picture of the Enterprise and it's like blowing up 20 other ships flying through like a, a destroyed board cube and you're like, "Wow, okay, we get it." And then they're like, "No, but it's eradication day." And you're just like, "Holy cow." Like <laughs> you guys don't hold back, you know? Uh it was incredible. Um yeah, I mean, obviously for me like my biggest exposure to the mirror universe is through discovery and and like you know tilly and like very aggressive boots type of thing um (laughs) amongst other things and so yeah yeah yeah. so so yeah i totally get those vibes but uh it was it was just really like for me i think it might have gotten old but the thing of like watching our main kind of you know gang like 
discover and like find one another and like find ways except for Jurati, who totally did not play it cool to like play it cool <laughs> with one another and try not to arouse too much suspicion like with the magistrate which is i guess it's played by isa brionis's uh father the actor um oh okay but right like seeing them kind of, like watching this guy just get increasingly more suspicious and watching everyone try to like realize like okay you know like seven calling rios like hey and they have this moment on the radio where neither of them wants right. to break character and then they figure it right. out and you're so relieved that was like really really fun to watch all of that happen um and then again like because we've now rewound in the past i, I don't know I, you know a little echo of the mirror universe here and there never never killed anybody that's definitely where i thought we were at first like at the end of episode one i think it was um right. i totally there's this moment where gerardi is like ticking off like where am i and one of the options she goes is like am i in some kind of alternate universe where i'm pretty much the same as me but my like artificial pet programming skills are much better and i was like right. yeah that's it that's where you are um so it, it not being that and being time travel i'm really like curious and not sure how that's gonna play out uh right. but yeah I, I i was like really skeptical to see how they did this but then as it was happening i was i was surprised to find myself really into it and enjoying it uh yeah well, well said uh rachel were you um equally as enthused as uh as ty was in hearing um gerardi's cat who is who was played by uh <laughs> Pat oswald oh, crap yeah Pat oswald <laughs> um i i like the cat it was cute i want one <laughs> uh yeah um i was mostly confused i thought it was the mirror universe as well um so that was uh like yeah i, I just was i was like oh it's, it's the mirror universe right the mirror universe and chris was like no it's not the mirror universe <laughs> so, <laughs> I wasn't angry about it yeah but you were like no <laughs> and yeah like that like that he's he's shaking his head yeah, like he's that. making the and, he's, and, he's doing it right now guys like i could tell he had like inside info that he had like seen the writers be like this isn't the mirror universe but i i i thought maybe they could have done a little bit of a better job of communicating that to me somehow that i didn't quite remember that yeah. it was like i was like is the confederation of earth like part of the terran empire or right subdivision of the Terran Empire or like I'm not sure we've ever seen Earth in the mirror universe so yeah but I think yeah we're going with there was some sort of something happened in 2024 that broke the timeline and yeah and and we and we get we get that bit of exposition from the Borg Queen that as it's been previously established that the Borg have uh, the ability to uh, transcend space and time um, because they're just they're just built that way. Um, but uh, Greg, were you also kind of enraptured by the fact that we were? Uh, oh, oh, actually, I guess I should ask this, right? So our our other co-host Zaki Hassan has often talked about the fact that he's not necessarily a fan of the fact that. Uh, the writers have kind of used the mirror universe as a, as a crutch for all things evil, right? Like we need, we need evil time. Let's go to the mirror. Let's hop on over to the mirror universe. Um, and I feel it could be argued that uh, the writers 
did that this time without actually going to the mirror universe, but they just pulled all that stuff and brought it into ours. Did you feel that way? Or did you feel like this was a, a the correct kind of step to take to advance the story along? I mean, that's, that's a lot to unpack. I think, uh, well, a, I, I think when Zachy was talking about that was during, was it season two of discovery? It was season one of discovery. Was it one? When, with, yeah, it was. So it was the Anson second Mount half of season and, one. It was the second half yeah. of season one, yes. which felt like a second season. It did feel like a second season. Yes. Um, I liked that one, especially with the big reveal of Jason Isaacs yes. and how he changed. Yes. So I gave all of that a pass because I just love the fact that he was the secret non-member of the, you know, whatever. I just, I just right, really right, enjoyed right, that. Right, right, um, right. I didn't really track that this was the mirror universe when i first saw this episode i really did okay and so even though that was you know in somewhat recent memory i thought of this more uh did you guys watch agents of shield yes uh yes, very much there's that season five i think where they're in a the construct it's like a it's like a right a, right a, yes. a digital yes. recreation of their world yes. in which yes. shield is basically this uh, totalitarian uh, right. like the SS, uh, but in, right. in our world. And so I thought of it more like that. Like, this is just not necessarily an alternate reality, but just a, a reimagining and putting our, and it's just very cute to me. Like this feels like very much like a, what, something that he would do. He would set up a, mm -hmm. a situation, have everyone be confused and then have to wrestle with, uh, the morality. And I'm sure he's got some point or something up his sleeve, which where he wants Picard to learn, you know, the whole right. tagline of this, of the trial never ends feels also very similar. It, you know, it, it actually is very, um, the way the iconography in this confederation of earth feels very similar to the trial in, uh, encounter at far point, point, right. With a lot right, of the reds yeah. and everything like that. And they're screaming right. and the people, Ooh, oh, you know, the bloodlust and things like that. So it all felt very thematic to Q wanting to uh, make some kind of point to his, right. his lover Picard here. Right. Yeah, well, I'm bummed that they didn't bring back the drug suits for the you know, know. Picard <laughs> drugs. Well, you know, look, they're going to 2024. You never know what they're what they're going to what they're going to come up there. with some new stuff right. there. So, um, yeah, Chris, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask you about the mirror universe. You feel free to answer uh, as you see fit. But what I will ask you about is how much of what our our uh, our principal crew our principal cast has gone through do you think was the machination of q um i sometimes play with the idea that everything that occurred on the stargazer came directly from q do you think it goes that far or do you think q saw them and saved them and then started this trial that's a good question um I hadn't really considered the stream of events through that moment. My perception is probably that everything that took place on the stargaze on the stargazer did happen, but it was in between the moments that, that the disruption to time took place, which accounted for the rather erratic behavior of the queen. I think that's probably what happened. Um, but that, I mean, that doesn't preclude the possibility of, of Q uh, orchestrating it entirely. I mean, 
we've seen him do crazier things before. But um, I, I think that it's a potent idea to play with. And the first season played with it as well, just in a more allegorical sense than in a literal one, uh, that only a few things need to change in the world that we live in to put us on an entirely different path. Um, sure. You know, what, what really does have to happen in the past uh, to send us in the same direction as the mirror universe, where we value conquerors over peacemakers and uh, mm-hmm. where strength is valued over weakness to such a degree that weakness is just eradicated. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a disturbing question. And I think anybody who has been conscious in our society over the last five to six years, and particularly over the past mm-hmm. month, uh, really sees that it doesn't take much to push people who are determined to act aberrantly and with cruelty and brutality into behaving in such ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Star Trek is uniquely suited to comment on those realities. And um, that's the kind of Star Trek that I tend to live for is, you know, telling us about ourselves. That's what Star Trek is supposed to do. And uh, maybe to help, um, shine a little bit of a different perspective on uh, the context of events as seen in our own world. Uh, when it comes to the mirror universe comparison, just as a as uh, a fun com- uh, bit of trivia slash observation, I think that Gerardi's reaction to realizing that she was in a different place was probably my one of my favorite parts of the episode, just because it recalled. One of the things that Spock said in Mirror Mirror, which is that it was far easier for you as civilized men to act as barbarians than for them as barbarians to act as civilized men. And she she ran with that. So I thought that that was kind of a fun, potentially backdoor nod to something that we've <laughs> seen before in TOS. But um, the allegorical potential for this is also very high. But I also can't help but think... Uh, in getting into pedantic continuity time, 2024 is a year that we've seen in Star Trek before. And the last time we saw that year, it was dominated by civil unrest, by the domination of, uh, of class division in terms of the haves and the have nots and extreme disparity between rich and poor. And it reached a tipping point before things were pushed in a potentially more positive direction. If they're going back to 2024, does that mean that even though they're going to Los Angeles, they explicitly said uh, in 2024, we know of something pretty major that happened in San Francisco that was depicted in deep space nine. So uh, is that date going to have additional significance here? I don't know, but it would make sense, especially considering what we are seeing in modern American cities when it comes to the disparity between those who have and those who don't and how um, our civil institutions for dealing with such things are weakened. Um, A lot of room there to explore and a lot of room to hopefully show us or at least introduce the idea to people who may not have been previously receptive to it, that there's a better way forward. Very, very well said, my friend. It 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 uh, it is amazing 
how prescient uh, the writers were uh, in what was that, 1995? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, with respect to how unfortunately accurate they were uh, potentially to what what the future may hold for us. Um, but in that vein, uh, let's do, let's have a little fun. It's time to put on our fortune televisors, uh, for season two of, of Picard. Where do you see this season going? Where do you want it to go? And how have you enjoyed the first two episodes? We'll start with our guest, Greg, uh, all three of those questions go have at them as you see fit. Well, uh, I'm going to go back and say that uh, Michael Dorn as Worf is going to be there in the finale and yes. Pat Elnor on the back and say, ah, I was the first Klingon. You'll do fine. All right. <laughs> um, All right. I like that. And, uh, and I really enjoy where this is going. It's such a great setup. Uh, you know, these two episodes, even though they felt action packed, uh, you know, they really are just like an introduction to now where they're going to end up and how they're going to deal with it. I love that the Borg Queen is a source of information as well as knowledge and has agreed to help them. I, I didn't ex- expect that, that they would have to work with her as an agent to to try to help. I wonder what, how she's going to show up in the 2024 timeline. Does, does Guinan have a bar in Los Angeles in 2024? Are we going to see her again? <laughs> Uh, she's hanging out with Jack London still in San Fran and <laughs> exactly <laughs> right? yeah. there's so many fun ways that it can go. I mean, uh, I, I said that search for Spock was my favorite of the old series, but I, I really do love voyage home as well. And it brings so many fun things to light about how you can make commentary on what's going on with our world and that fish out of water type of thing. I hope they don't lean into that too much. Cause that is, been done a lot in a lot of Star Trek right, whenever they sure. do go into um, what is happening and when they, when they're in our timeline. Um, but you know, that's some of the fun comedy uh, bits. And so, you know, they got to, right. they got to lean into it a little bit. And then uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see where it goes next. I don't have any other predictions beyond that. Ty, uh, thank you. Thank you very much for that, Greg. Ty, are, what, are, what are your wacky predictions? <laughs> I mean, look, I saw season one of this show. Uh, if you had told me, uh, you know, that you predicted halfway through season one that it was going to conclude with them, you know, going to the android planet, meeting all the androids and meeting the Soong that created the androids and Picard turns into an android and like, you know, I don't know if I would have guessed that. So I'm not going to really predict what's going to happen story-wise. I will, I will throw in a, a vote for, yeah, Worf appearing somewhere towards the end does feel, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw my hat in with that one. I like that one, Greg. Um, <laughs> but for me, I think, you know, one big question I have, especially because they have been clear that like there's time travel going on is, is the TNG timeline going to remain intact or is somehow what they're going to do in Los Angeles and changing time, right? Like, I, I mean, are they just going to put everything completely back to normal or, right? Could there be other kind of like, additional effects from whatever they do in this season. So I'm really curious about that, but just my my biggest, I mean, for me, I was so affected by that moment when Picard is so frustrated by Q. He's like, I don't have time for your bullshit, but Q like he detects that something isn't right with Q and his face changes 
And even though he's so frustrated by the situation that he's in, Picard shifts into empathy mode. And, and mm. that's the thing I love about him. I love it about Michael Burnham is right. Like that is top priority when somebody isn't doing okay. Um, and so just to see Picard learn to take his incredible empathy that he feels for others and learn to like, allow himself some of that right and and like the way that he has supported so many people in their careers like becoming their best version of themselves um him sort of you know i don't i personally don't think this is going to end in a romantic entanglement for picard but you know he's going to learn i think like we're going to see a just a huge amount of growth with him uh, and i think we'll get a lot of that by the end of the season and so that's my big prediction is like a picard that um like like we saw alluded to in that conversation with laris right who doesn't feel like he's running from something but is embracing not only his duty but himself as a whole person um and so hmm. to me that's you know that that empathy and pathos is what I love about Star Trek and what I love about watching, especially these shows that are currently on TV. So that's what I'm most excited to see play out this season. All right. Well, uh, Rachel, you've, you've seen the future. Uh, you've gone 1.21 gigawatts. Uh, you have not come back with the winning lotto numbers, but you have instead come back with the full season of Picard. What's going to happen? Uh, Benjamin Sisko is going to come out of the wormhole. And he's okay. gonna fix everything. Him and the wormhole aliens, yes, aka the prophets, yes, they're gonna fix the timeline, Deus Ex Machina style, and it's okay. gonna be great. That's not actually gonna happen, but that's what I want to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it. <laughs> I also, yeah, I think I think Picard's gonna have like a long term serious love interest by the end. Okay. Uh, I don't know what form that's going to take. And, uh, sure. you know, I think like, like Ty said, uh, the writers of the show have proved that they're willing to go some crazy places. So I don't know where, <laughs> what, what they're going to do. Um, I also, I don't know. I didn't get a chance to say it, but I thought that the board queen at the beginning of the, of the series, um, really looked a lot like Kim Kardashian from the Met Gala um mm-hmm. she's yes. wearing the same outfit yes. so yes. you know you're just assuming that's the board queen but i i want to pause it maybe it's kim trying to get away from kanye by going <laughs> right. to another universe I mean, yeah he is he is kind of out of control on twitter right yeah so so yeah. uh you know maybe we're jumping to conclusions but that's just <laughs> my theory completely fair kanye or, is or, a q yeah. is that what you're trying to yes. say yes right yes <laughs> Right. He is he is Michelangelo in the flesh. Right. <laughs> Jesus. Right. Yes. Cuses. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Chris. <laughs> Take us get us out of here, Chewy. What what's uh, what's what's gonna happen this this season? It's hard to predict, you know, because I certainly want to see Somebody, I would like to see certainly Worf. Worf would probably be at the top of the list. But Cicero, I'm almost with you. I mean, it seems like it would be kind of cruel to mention Picard's previous uh, romantic entanglements without including Dr. Crusher in the conversation in some sort of meaningful, substantive way. Uh, That was another thing that was alluded to in All Good Things is that they had married and divorced by the time that episode took place. Um, So... 
in terms of other things, I mean, I'm, I'm rather fascinated by how they're going to make Q play into this because he doesn't describe this as a lesson. He describes it as a penance. So what did he do that he is paying for? Or is it mm-hmm. that uh, the timeline that they were in when they had that conversation was the penance uh, instead of just the entire experience? It's hard to tell with Q, as is typically the case with most things. But um, yeah, I would certainly like to see some additional members of uh, of the legacy cast show up in some form or fashion. Hopefully not in too bastardized a form which is possible, but if we're getting out of the 25th century, the corrupted 25th century, then hopefully that won't be the case. But I'm just, I'm kind of content to go along for the ride. This season seems to have started off. I'm tempted to describe it as a more aggressive foot than the first one. Like the first one, it seems like things were kind of really eased into um, before it turned the volume up about halfway through and, and increased the stakes and, uh, and, and put Picard on a bit more of a back foot. Whereas now they're just blasting out of the gate with things that have more solid connections to what we've seen before, but, uh, also taking things in a decidedly more dangerous direction. I think that for what it's worth, this season has started off on a better foot than the first season did. Uh, that's my normative appraisal of how things have begun but uh, there's a lot of possibilities that they presented and I'm going to be really intrigued to see if I, I guess if there's one thing that dissatisfies me, the instances of Star Trek that have gone back to the modern time, uh, the, the modern time of whatever production is being made, they were very hit or miss. You know, Voyage right. Home is clearly a, 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 an outlier because that's right. one of the best Star Trek movies that's ever been made. But, you know, there were episodes of Enterprise where they went back to the early 2000s and episode of Voyager where they went back into the 90s. And those aren't exactly like the most memorable time travel adventures in Star Trek history. Um, Some form of the future, like First Contact, for instance, is far more interesting to me than visiting the modern times of whatever the production was being made. So I hope they can avoid that pitfall this time. Um, but it looks like things are going to be more interesting. So I'm pretty anxious to see how things progress. I have one yeah, final, well, one uh, final prediction. Yeah, please, and it please will make go ahead. Everyone angry and also happy at the same time. All right. Awesome. Go so, for it. uh, we will finally at the end, there's only one entity that we know that is stronger and more powerful than Q, which is Wesley Crusher as the traveler. Right. <laughs> he will right. come in and deus ex machina all of us and then snap right. his fingers. And then the entire cast is there in the ready room. And it was all part of his <laughs> shtick for that show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the long con. Um, but so, Very long. Now they, right. Now they have made mention to the watcher, right? Which is if you're a Marvel fan, you know who the watcher is, but obviously I don't think it's the same watcher. (laughs) Obviously Star Trek is not in the Marvel universe or is it? Um, But, but maybe the watcher is a, uh, is like a, a gnome de terre of, so you're saying at the end of the season, we're all going to turn on our TVs. There's not going to be a Disney plus and a Paramount plus app. There's just going to be one (laughs) and there's only one one show and it's the ready room. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> you all must watch it. And if you don't watch right. it, you will be punished. Well, right. it, um, it is kind of fascinating to at least open up the possibilities to the entities that we know that have the ability to manipulate time, at least on their own, because Q certainly right. qualifies, but something's happened to him. At least yes. per, on a perception basis, the Borg qualifies, even though they don't really have the ability to control what happens until they, you know, go through time. Actually go there, yeah. The prophets do come to mind. I mean, the prophets are unstuck from time. They experience all of time all at once. Uh, So is there a possibility that the prophets could come into the fold in some way? Sure. With time travel, it's hard to tell. I mean, this is one of the things that makes Star Trek unique, especially in comparison to something like Star Wars that does not touch time travel with a 50-foot pole, right? Is that Star Trek rather liberally uses the concept of time travel to tell stories to varying levels of success but there's a lot of potential possibilities here and i think that's what makes it kind of fun yeah uh so as for me i am uh fully enjoying the ride uh i i love what we've gotten uh in picard so far i am in full agreement with chris that uh this season two of picard has has really come out of the blocks running in a way that season one really didn't and i don't know that it necessarily had the space to because it was establishing everything that that the series was was supposed to be um but and and you know one thing that i've one of the uh kind of the negative the knocks that i've i've put against more modern trek uh especially uh discovery has been that the stakes have have perpetually been too high um, that, you know, you know, it's galaxy saving stakes all the time and that the that the crew of the Discovery and Michael Burnham specifically is always cast as the person uniquely qualified to solve whatever the issue seems to be. Um, in this case, I think the stakes are also high. They are also the galaxy seemingly is at stake. At least the Federation seemingly is at stake with the way that that Borg queen was acting um, based on the way that it was going. And, and they were looking for specifically looking for Picard to be the catalyst for whatever it was that was happening. But I think that there is a difference between uh, Picard being the one and Burnham being the one where I feel like Picard has earned the ability to be, you know, uniquely qualified to be the person that an entity seeks out because of, you know, the, the 50 years or the, you know, the, the 50 almost years of service that Picard has had both, uh, in you know, Picard has had as as a captain in the Federation, uh, in Starfleet, um, and also uh, as Patrick Stewart has, you know, in the thirty plus years that Patrick Stewart has had as you know as the person who plays this character. So I th- I think all of that stuff is earned. So I didn't mind it as much when I saw it in Picard as I have in in iterations of Discovery. So I'm really along for the ride. I love where where the show is kind of going. I couldn't even uh, begin to imagine where we're going with it. And so I, you know, I have no predictions. So uh, thank you guys for all of those great ideas because now they can live in my head. Um, I, I really appreciate that. Um, well, 
that uh, that brings us to an end of this episode of Discovery Debrief. Uh, and uh, I want to thank everyone so much for listening. And if you would be so kind as to like, share, and subscribe to our feeds, we would greatly appreciate it. If you subscribe in a place where you can leave a review, please do so, and we'd be honored to read it on our podcast at a future date. I want to thank you, thank our special guest, Greg Tito. Greg, please plug all of your things. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's been so great and really honor. I uh, love listening to uh, you talk about Star Trek and Discovery. And so it's been nice uh, to be here and, and share my thoughts with you. And, and uh, it's been really fun. Um, if you want to go back and watch some of these older episodes of TNG that we were referencing, you know, you can listen to my dulcet tones and uh, three of my cultural bridge crew. Cicero has come on a couple of times to talk about some really fun slash really awful episodes in uh, <laughs> season one and uh, season three. Uh, yeah. So that is called Re-Engage, available anywhere you get fine podcasts. It is a fun ride. And like I said, we're in season three right now. So not too much to catch up with. But if you want to just jump in and, and watch some of your favorite episodes and listen to our discussion about it. Uh, I ask you to do that. That'd be super fun. Um, I also am the co-host of Dragon Talk, which is a weekly interview podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, uh, talking to people within the community and their creativity that they come with there, as well as sometimes talking to the designers about monsters they're creating or uh, books that are coming out. So give a listen to that as well. And you can follow me at Greg Tito on Twitter find out any of that stuff and if you want to see pictures of my kids and some of the goings on in west seattle as well as some dnd miniatures go to instagram i'm at greg underscore tito there and uh yeah follow all along those fun stuff and i can't wait to see where this series goes and hopefully maybe i can come back on and talk about the finale with you guys uh yeah well, I, I, we would yeah definitely we'll uh we'll you know we'll write that down in ink uh <laughs> or in blood so you yeah so so <laughs> green, i green i, blood, I, I want matter. to <laughs> right, right, exactly. I I want to continue to plug Dragon Talk uh, because you're selling it short. You are the only place where uh, you got someone from Star Trek to talk about D&D. That's right. Anthony Rapp has uh, newly discovered or, or rediscovered his love for D&D, much like myself. Um, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to uh my love affair with with dungeons and dragons and rolling dice and uh you got anthony rap on it's been talk a, about his love it's been a treat watching his uh re resurgence and fandom of fantasy uh come through he's been so great on twitter talking to DD fans about the yes. new campaign that he's running as a dungeon master yes. and then of course disco does DD. that's a hashtag where he right. and blue debario and noah aberbach cats and ian oh, alexander yeah. Uh, are playing Dungeons and Dragons together sometimes with Mae Wiseman. They even, I think they even played with Sonequa Martin Green at one point as well, too. Nice. Uh, and awesome. so that's just really great to see uh, yeah. the great fandoms of Star Trek and D&D collide into one. Well, you know, Anthony, if you're listening and you want to come and talk about uh, D&D and Star Trek, or maybe even the Star Trek D&D, you know, we can uh, 
you know, we'd be more than happy to oblige you. I'm surprised. So, you, you, you see there's some overlap between those audiences, Greg, you're saying? Right, yeah, yeah, right. It's it's crazy. I know it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely bizarre, but how, you know. It didn't used um, to. That's the funny thing. There used to be the sci-fi yeah. fans and the mm, fantasy fans, right. and it was like the right. sharks and the jets. Uh, but right. now <laughs> we're all one big happy family loving speculative fiction. I like that. Yes. I like that mm. uh, uh, catch-all phrase. Right. Yeah. There you go. Well, uh, Greg. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's been a pleasure having you and and uh, you know being able to not only be a guest but to also listen to reengage has been a fantastic and a fascinating trip down memory lane both for the episodes and what was going on at those times and and being able to reflect on them as the the Gen X adults that we we happen to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, so thank thank you uh, for that. And please uh, uh, extend our best wishes to the rest of the reengage crew. Will do. Will uh, do. And of course, yeah, open invitation yeah. to any of you if you have favorite uh, episodes of Star Trek Next Generation season uh, three, you know, four or five. Let me know. We'll get you on and, and you can do a deep dive right. with us. Oh, that sounds awesome. Right. Yeah. Well, we really yeah. do appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much, Greg. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, please stay tuned to this feed as we look to come back with more regular recap episodes of all things Star Trek, uh, including the final two episodes of season four of Star Trek Discovery. Well, until then, go boldly, my friends. 